Al Jazeera podcast. Leila Haddad lives in Maryland, in the United States, thousands of miles from Gaza. But her mind is never far from it and her family there. I feel silly asking every day, just tell me if you're alive. Her fears seem justified in light of the losses she's already faced. More than 30 members of her family have been killed by Israeli airstrikes since October 7th. And they were just sitting in their homes, sheltering in place as everyone else has been doing. Leila is very aware that as an American citizen, the destruction of her family's lives and memories is being done not just by a foreign government, but by her own. It's my tax dollars that are being used to purchase these weapons and ultimately kill my family and thousands of other innocent Palestinians. Now, she's a plaintiff in a lawsuit accusing US President Joe Biden and other administration officials of complicity in what it describes as the Israeli government's quote unfolding genocide. So what will this lawsuit mean? for Gaza, Israel, and the US president. I'm Malika Bilal and this is the take. My name is Leila Haddad. I'm a mother of four and a Palestinian journalist and author from Gaza. You are Palestinian American and you lived in Gaza for many many years where you still have close and extended family living. And part of the reason why you are a plaintiff in this lawsuit is that many of your family members have been killed in Israel's war on Gaza. First of all, I am so sorry for your losses. Can you tell us what happened? I had about 30 extended family members who were killed from my mother's side of the family in Khan Yunis in southern Gaza and five immediate family members from my uh paternal side from my father's side of the family my uncle's wife three of my adult cousins and one of their wives who was actually Croatian but a long-time resident of Gaza and um you know they're not unique unfortunately like uh thousands of other palestinians um nobody has had a moment to grieve or to bury their dead or to offer condolences 30 family members from one side i know you've been staying in touch with your cousins via voice notes um what are they telling you what kinds of things are they conveying You know, first of all, I think it's bears reminding that people can't leave Gaza right now. They're in as good spirits as can be expected, but they feel lonely. They feel completely alone and completely abandoned. This is what they are all telling me. In the last few days when they had a steady connection, I asked them to send me audio notes. just sort of a daily diary of what they were experiencing. 
My cousin, who is still in Gaza City, was telling me they were all having to basically shelter under the staircase of the building they were in, almost just indefinitely with her children, that they were surrounded by tanks, that they had uh, a small supply of uh, dried food with them and water, um, but that they couldn't leave at all. And there was people who were injured um, around them, but there was no ambulance, there was no way to get to the hospital. My other cousin was telling me that they tried to reach the Red Cross, but the Red Cross guy told them he himself had already moved to southern Gaza and was uh, staying in a Arawa school, which uh, he thought was at once tragic and hilarious. Um, so it's just a summary of how um, just the horror unfolding around them and how dystopian everything is right now. Mm. But they feel that it is really important for those who are able to do so to amplify their voices, to protest, to pressure our government uh, to call for a ceasefire and to put an end to this. So pressure the U.S. government. I imagine that's exactly the impetus behind you being a plaintiff in this lawsuit. Talk to me about how you made that decision. Well, I made a promise to myself and to my family that I would do everything I could in my capacity as a single human being. And um, I myself one day will be held accountable, and I think all of us will, if we don't do our part in stopping this ongoing genocide. Was it hard to make that decision? Because this isn't... Um, a light thing. It's it's a lawsuit against the president of the United States and others for genocide. Not at all. I did not hesitate for one second. And perhaps I would if it was earlier on and if I had seen any clear evidence that the United States government was indeed concerned about Palestinian lives and about putting an end to this ongoing genocide. But not only have they not done that, they've actively, and by they I mean, of course, President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken and Secretary of Defense Austin, actively aided and abetting it by providing military, financial, and political cover uh, for Israel as it continues to slaughter Palestinians and call for their ethnic cleansing. So really, this was the least I could do as we say in Arabic, adaf al-iman, the, the lowest level of faith. I was approached by the Center for Constitutional Rights about whether I would like to participate in this lawsuit and immediately said yes. The Center for Constitutional Rights is leading the lawsuit against President Biden and the other U.S. officials. They're doing it on behalf of Palestinian human rights organizations, Palestinians in Gaza, and U.S. citizens like Leila, with relatives in Gaza. We spoke to one of their lead lawyers, Asta Sharma Pokharao, about why she thinks this case is so critical. This is something that could be stopped right now. The death, the daily deaths can be stopped right now. Defendants have the ability to stop it. A court has the power to order it. After the break, 
how the lawsuit alleging President Biden's complicity in genocide is laid out. On the Inside Story podcast, a high seas hijack by Houthi rebels of a part Israeli-owned ship in the Red Sea in reprisal for the Gaza war. What are the implications? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, Asta, the Convention on the Prevention of Genocide lays out that, quote, Genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group. And then it goes on to list several criteria. Killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction, in whole or in part. How does your case lay out these things as they're happening in Gaza? There's the the two elements of, of the crime of genocide include the underlying act and the specific intent. In the context of the underlying act, what you describe sort of reveal that the crime of genocide does not require direct mass killings. Um, although what Israel is doing in Gaza right now includes direct mass killings. It includes airstrikes. It includes bombardment. So that is one of the underlying acts that constitute the crime of genocide. The second underlying act is the causing of serious bodily or mental harm to members of that group, the direct airstrikes and the massive sort of injuries that people are experiencing and the horrific sort of psychological and mental harm. That's the result of both the bombardment and the displacement of people in Gaza. I think the third definition, deliberately inflicting upon the group conditions of life calculated to bring about the group's destruction, that is the total siege on Gaza. So the total siege on food, water, electricity, fuel, medicine. So anything that would support Palestinian life in Gaza has been blocked, destroyed, attacked, by Israel, and this is really compounded by the 16-year-long blockade. A few years ago, the UN had concluded that Gaza would be unlivable by 2020. And then, like you said, the second um, element is specific intent. And often this specific intent is really hard to prove. Mm -hmm. Actors that are carrying out a genocide don't often admit that that's what they're doing. But in this case, beginning on October 7th, you see Israeli government officials at the highest level admitting that that's what they're doing. These statements have come from so many levels of government, but you see them directly from President Herzog. You see them from Benjamin Netanyahu. You see them from the Minister of Defense, Yoav Gallant, admitting that they think of Palestinians in Gaza as human animals. We are fighting human animals, and we must deal accordingly. Admitting that they think that, uh, describing them as, quote, children of darkness, saying that an entire nation is responsible for the October 7th attacks, invoking Netanyahu has done this more than once. We are the children of light, and they are the children of darkness. And light will always defeat dark invoking the biblical story of Amalek, which is widely understood as being a biblical story of genocide. 
to describe what Israel is carrying out in Gaza. So those are three um, leaders in Israel. What about the U.S.? How are U.S. President Joe Biden and the other U.S. officials that you've named, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, involved specifically? So when it comes to the United States, they have to know of a serious risk of genocide. And then for complicity, they have to have knowledge of the unfolding genocide. And so for the case against defendant Biden, Lincoln, and Austin, they have known from October 7th the specific intent of the Israeli officials, the language that they've used to characterize Palestinian people in Gaza began on October 7th. On October 9th, they announced the total siege of Gaza. So U.S. officials have known of the risk of genocide and of the unfolding genocide since at least October 9th, if not October 7th. And then in terms of complicity for the knowledge of the fact that the genocide is unfolding, they've seen widely publicized statements from UN experts, UN officials. We at the Center for Constitutional Rights sent them directly a letter describing the unfolding genocide. So they have been on notice of the unfolding genocide. And so as soon as they have that knowledge, their duty to prevent kicks in and they are required to stop supporting Israel's unfolding genocide in Gaza. And they haven't haven't done that. Every step of the way, they've supported it unconditionally, unequivocally, with no limits. And that's exactly what Leila al-Haddad says she wants to stop from happening. To stop the Biden administration from aiding and abetting this ongoing genocide. To put an end to this genocide, that's our immediate goal right now. We have said this before, but it bears repeating that you are Palestinian and you're an American citizen. What has it felt like to be someone with those two identities, a Palestinian in the United States right now? Most of the years that I have spent in the United States, I have spent as a non-citizen, meaning I was a resident, but I was Palestinian and I only became a citizen six years ago. And now that doesn't mean that I wasn't paying taxes, obviously, but it absolutely feels different. I'm overwhelmed and burdened with a feeling of guilt that I have then had to uh, convert into something actionable. Because again, it's my tax dollars that are being used to purchase these weapons and ultimately kill my family and thousands of other innocent Palestinians. So um, it's a difficult reality to come to terms with, but it also obligates us to speak out and to do anything we can to stop this genocide. I think if nothing else, it will raise awareness about the horrific situation being brought on Gaza right now. But Asta says this case could do more than that. So I think one of the really concrete ways will be to stop. So right now, the administration is trying to send $14 billion in additional military assistance to Israel, which is on top of the kind of regular billions of dollars of military assistance. We think that any support to the Israeli military, which is committing this genocide and is participating in war crimes, 
and violations of international law should stop until Israel comes into compliance with international law. And there is currently an approval of $320 million worth of military equipment. So this Israeli company can create uh, precision bomb kits. That's another example of something that a court could, could stop. And when it comes to the defendants, Biden, Blinken, and Austin, this case has the potential to stop them too. In contexts where uh, universal jurisdiction applies, where individuals can be held liable in certain courts, including in Europe, for international crimes such as the crime of genocide, it would impact travel to those contexts as well. I think people are taking it seriously. Asta says that's not just because she believes in the case, but because her organization, CCR, has had success in cases like this in the past. And if it works in this case, she says... That's more of a reason for, you know, the ICC to investigate it. There is no legitimate claim of self-defense that can, that can justify the crime of genocide. In other words, you can't carry out a genocide and then say you were doing it in self-defense. Right now, Gaza has the world's attention, but not for the reasons Leila would like it to. As a journalist, she's been trying to tell the world about the people of Gaza and their culture for years. Leila, before we end, some might know you from your work as a journalist, as a writer, as an author, and others might know you from your work as a cookbook author and a really good cook. You have shown the beauty of Gazan culture and Palestinian culture in Gaza. My favorite memory of you showing that beauty is roasting watermelon. This is Leila Haddad, a native Gazan journalist and author of The Gaza Kitchen. Here's Leila with the late Anthony Bourdain on his CNN show, Parts Unknown. So what they're making now is called Fettet Ajr. And Ajr is basically baby watermelon, underripe watermelon. And this is kind of a specialty of southern Gaza generally, but also Sinai. So when we talk about the time you spent in Gaza and the family members that still live there and those that you lost, there was a vibrancy there. There were lives there. Can you tell us, share with our listeners, things you remember about them and about your time in Gaza that you want people to take away? Gaza, to me, will always be the most beautiful place on earth. And that's all been destroyed. And every time I, I watch another bomb drop or I, I see an Israeli soldier posing in front of our houses, our residential neighborhoods, um, you know, something dies inside of me. Take your time. In the um, one of the worst days of the aerial assault on Gaza, my cousin sent me a picture of them celebrating his daughter's 11th birthday. Um, and he said, you know, we we just we love life and we celebrate life and we insist on clinging to the beauty and the routine and the everyday and and 
that to me is the most um, beautiful demonstration of this everyday struggle that you see in Gaza to remain human and to retain dignity when faced with these overwhelming odds and systematic efforts to strip you of your humanity. But it is the most beautiful place. And I I wish everyone has a chance to go visit it and see for themselves. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. Don't apologize. I wish that too. Thank you so much for 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 venturing into the raw and the real so that people can understand what's happening and what we're losing. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And that's The Take. For a look at the recipe for Leila's grilled watermelon, check out our Twitter and Instagram feed at AJE Podcasts. This episode was produced by Amy Walters and Chloe K. Lee, with David Enders, Ferenisa Campana, Khalid Sultan, Miranda Lynn, Sariel Khalili, Sonia Bagat, Zaina Bazar, Ashish Malhotra, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.